Well, um, if you don't know me, I love music. I started singing when I was four or earlier, I don't know, but there are videos of me when I'm little and I'm just performing and singing and I'm like, you know, check me out everyone. Um, my grandpa used to videotape the cousins and I would actually push people out of the way to be in the spotlight so I could sing my songs. Um, and then as I grew up, I went to college and I ended up traveling and singing in college, which was super fun. Got to go to different countries and be in different singing groups. And I still sing now. And now as a mom, I actually sing, um, throughout the day. Oh, and even, so I have my teaching credential. I taught fifth grade for a few years and my students told me that I would sing math problems to them. And I think that I, I never intentionally did. So I'm like, are you sure? They're like, oh yeah, you'd be like seven times seven, you know. I'm like, no, I would, you know. So apparently I would sing math problems, like I wouldn't even know. And then um, now with the kids, I make up songs just as parenting situations arise. Um, there's a couple, one is called You Gotta Have Self-Control, and it's got like a nice swing beat to it. Uh, my kids love it when I start singing it to them. Or have patience. Or there's just a, a couple that like come out. Oh, my favorite one is um, do what mommy asks. Finish the task. And, and they're like. <laughs> but then one kid will sing it to another kid like do what mommy asks you. You know, and I'm like, oh, okay, it's catching on. <gasps> Uh, so, you know, I feel like those things, right, music sticks in your head. And really, music is everywhere in our culture around us in this world, right? You can't watch a movie without music in the background. You can't watch a commercial. You, you've got radio in your car. You've got music just everywhere, music at church. Music fills our world. Um, and guess what? So does sex. How about that for a transition, right? <laughs> but it's true. I mean, sex is everywhere. I mean... You cannot watch commercials without sexual images trying to sell you a hamburger. And you can't go on and watch a movie without innuendos or a sex scene popping up out of the blue. Or you can't like drive down like billboards. Um, people are talking about sex everywhere. Schools, right? If your kids are in public school, that is just everywhere with the education. Pro I mean, it fills our world. And I think what we need to do as Christians who come to church, we need to go to God's word and figure out what sex is, what it was designed for, and make sure we're living in light of that. And I think that's our goal for today is to say, what is sex? Why did God create it? What's the context for it? What are some truths found in scripture about it? And then how am I supposed to live differently as a result of God's word? Because you know, you're hearing lots and lots of different messages, and we, we want to make sure we look at God's word. And you know what? you've probably been taught so many things that you haven't even been aware of. You know, just that have come into your brain and have maybe even changed your thinking without even noticing it. So we want to kind of identify some of those things today and then live the way God tells us to live as married women who want to live according to God's word. So our passage for today is 1 Corinthians 7. 1 through 6. I mean, that's where I'm mostly going to camp on. Um, so you there. It's also going to be up on the, on the screen, but it's a lot of words, so maybe pull it up if you'd like. But let me read it for you today, because this is what we're really going to dive into. It says this. 
Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. So our first point today is that I would like for you and I to understand God's good design for sex. Understand God's good design for sex. And this is an important part of understanding what your role is, is to understand what the creator created this to be for and about. Um, I think in marriage, there are certain things that maybe we come into and we don't understand it. And once we understand it, we appreciate it better. And, and one of the things for me was football. Um, I got married to Mark, and he was like a Chargers fan, you know. And those games go on forever, right? I'm like, is this thing still going? And um, he, would, he would be all in. And, and I had this decision to make. I remember it was like first year into marriage. It was the, the question came into my mind, okay, am I going to find something to do during the football games? That's fine. Like I could, you know, have hobbies, maybe whatever. Or am I going to jump on board and learn the football game and join him? And for whatever reason, I just prayed about it and decided to learn football because I really didn't know. any. I had been to the football games in high school, but I think it was for the cute boys. So I didn't really know like the rules, you know? So I would be sitting there like, why is there a flag being thrown? And why did that guy do this thing? You know, and so I didn't know any of the the people, I was gonna say characters. I didn't know any of the characters out there. Um, (laughs) That's kind of what it was to me. But my husband lovingly taught me. And now like you put me in a football game and it's like, oh no, he didn't do that. Why did you throw it there? You know, I'm like all in because I understand the game. I appreciate the game. I kind of, I'm, I'm on board because I know about it. And that's true of sex. Do you know about it? Do you know really what it's for? Because I want to break down this passage and even go back to the beginning so that you can understand it, appreciate it, have the right thinking on it. And so the Corinthians here, they had a misunderstanding of sex. If you know the book of 1 Corinthians What happened is they were writing to Paul, their spiritual leader, they were writing to him, asking him a series of questions. So it's a little confusing in our passage because it says, um, now concerning the matter that you wrote, and then there's quotes, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. It's kind of confusing, like, wait, what? And then he goes on to say, but it is. Those quotes, that's what they had written to Paul asking. So they had written a letter saying, hey, we've got some questions for you about the Christian life. So there's all kinds of quotes throughout 1 Corinthians of things that they're saying. This is what they said. They said, Paul, it's not good for a man to have sexual relations with a woman, right? It's not a good thing. We should just stop, right? There's, sex is bad in our culture. It's being misused. So this was their question to him. So he's writing back now concerning the matters, and we really see verses 2 through 6, him answering the question. 
And so let's dive into it. What does Paul say in response? Because they're saying, look, we want to be godly. We want to do things God's way. Maybe we just shouldn't even have sex. We see it abused in our culture, and we're seeing that today. So maybe we would be tempted to ask the same question. Maybe just stay away from it all, you know? No, 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 no. But this is what Paul says. Look at verse 2. He says, each man should have his own wife, and each wife should have his, her own husband. And so I just think here I have to say it because of what our culture is saying right now, that marriage is the place for sex, right? Marriage between, and I have to say this, a man and a woman is the place for sex. That's what the design was for. If you are quick or if you want to look up on the screen, we can turn over to Genesis 2. But we got to go back to Genesis 2 and see where did sex first come on the scenes? You know, why was it in it created, where was it intended to be for? And we can see it in Genesis 2, 18. God just created the world, animals, people, all this is going on. And we're going to look and see where we first see this, this sexual union. I'll read it for us out loud. You can follow along. This is Genesis 2, 18. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Then we look down to verse 25. It says, the man said, after woman was created, this is at last the bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. God made man and he wasn't complete until he made woman, right? It was like, you need a helper. None of these animals are going to be fit for you. You need a wife. So he makes Eve, and they come together uh, in marriage. And we see that this is the one flesh union, is what it's often talked about by commentators, is where the husband and wife, they come together in a sexual relationship. And they're naked. They're not ashamed. This is the union that kind of completes the marriage, they're together, it's just unique for them. You know, Adam is not doing this with any other animals out there, any other people. This was unique for the marriage, and the marriage we see is husband and wife. And so we can just see right here, it wasn't created for anyone at any time in any context, but it was created because Adam and Eve came together in unity in this physical way to express their love and their commitment, their relationship. And we can see that there's companionship between the man and the woman. There's unity. There's enjoyment, as we're going to look at later. This is the right context. And maybe you already are like, yes, Bethany, I got this. I got this. And I, that's great. But I can't really talk about sex without establishing that first because if you go and read Cosmopolitan magazine or you're talking with your friends or whatever, there, there could be a very different message being sent. And we want to look and see where this began and what God intended it for. So look at verse 3 and 4 back to our passage in 1 Corinthians. And maybe, Chris, you can flip back to 1 Corinthians 7 there. Look at verses 3 and 4. It says, The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. I mean, basically, when you get married, you say, you 
are now an authority over my body, and I now am, have the authority over your body, right? We see in different contexts in the Bible that the husband is in authority in a leadership position over the wife, but here it's really interesting that there is a mutual authority given in the sexual relationship. The husband has authority over the wife's body, and it doesn't stop there, because that would be, ooh, that'd be tricky, huh? But the wife has authority over the husband's body. So this is a mutual authority given in this relationship of husband and wife. I came across this quote from the Baker New Testament commentary. It says this, Elsewhere, Paul teaches that the husband is the head of the wife, but here he plainly declares that in respect to the sexuality of husband and wife, there is complete equality. Each partner has authority over the body of his or her spouse and both submit themselves to one another. Thus, they experience complete mutuality. And it doesn't mean that anything your husband does or, or says requires of you in the bedroom, he's got the authority you have to follow through, right? I, I mean, there are maybe potentially things that would be unwise for you to say if it was something sinful, if it was something even you were uncomfortable with, right? There, there would be need to be a discussion. Same thing, you know, I mean, I, I don't need to maybe give examples, but if your husband said, I guess I am giving an example right now, so here it is. I've, it's funny how I do that, but you know, like let's watch pornography together. Well, that's not, that's sin. pornography is sin. That's wrong. So that's not going to be something that you're going to say yes to. Well, you have authority over me in this sexual relationship, so I have to say yes, right? If there's something sinful involved, then you're, you're ultimately, you're turning to God, right? You're pleasing him. So just to, just to bring that up here. Um, but let me continue here in our passage where it says, give to his wife her conjugal rights. It can also be translated, fulfill your duty, which is interesting. My intention today, one of my major prayers is that we don't view sex as just a duty. And we're going to talk more about ways to view it as not a duty or responsibility. But it's interesting here that part of the translation, give to his wife or give to her husband or conjugal rights, can be translated, fulfill your duty. It is part of your responsibility in marriage. It is one of your duties, one of the things that you signed up for when you got married. It is one of the ministries to your husband. And likely there are quite a few things that you do on a daily basis that you're not super all for, but you do regularly, right? There's a lot of duties in your wifely role that maybe are not your favorite things at times, or maybe you're not feeling like doing the dishes, but you do them or cooking or whatever it is, right? With your kids, with your husband, in the home, whatever it might be, this we're hoping and praying it's not just a duty, but it is our responsibility as wives who want to submit ourselves to God to do this and give to our husbands their conjugal rights. When you sign the marriage certificate, you said, I'm signing up for a vibrant sex life. I'm all in, God. I'm going for it. That's part of what you signed when you said, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm getting married to this guy. This verb, give to, 
it's in the present imperative, which I don't know if that means anything to you, but I think it's interesting because it means it's a continual giving of yourself. It's not like a give to on the marriage night and then you're done. This give to is the way it is written in grammar. It's like give to again and again and again. We give to our husbands again and again and again. It's not just a one-time act. And this really is love. Often we see it in laying our lives down for another person. Sometimes this would be the same, you know, this is under the guise of our love, of we're laying down our life for our husbands, our spouses, sometimes seeking their interests above our own. Well, this sexual union is also beautiful, a privilege, and enjoyable. And I've often thought it's very interesting that God decided to put a whole book in the Bible about sex and loving husband and wife, loving each other's bodies. Do you think that's interesting? I would like there to be a whole book of the Bible about parenting. Would you not? I would love it. Because I'm such a checklist person. I would open up to Song of Mama, and I would like, <laughs> I would like, you know, what, okay, step one. Okay, they're babies now. You know, I, don't, I would totally follow it, like, probably to the T. And so, th- thankfully, God didn't put that in the Bible because so much of it is turning over to him, right? Trusting him and doing your best following the principles that we see, but there is an entire book in the Bible, maybe you haven't read it, called Song of Solomon, not Song of Mama, and um, it all is celebrating this husband and wife coming together and this sexual relationship, and it is a neat thing to read um, because you really see that it's such a good thing, it's such a positive thing. I mean, she's like, wow, his legs are like alabaster pillars and his he's like a stag you know and stuff we would never say but then you know he's looking at her and like whoa her teeth are like so white you know I don't know they're just complimenting each other it's really funny you know because it's the older language but you can see there's a beautiful enjoyable fun like they love each other they're so excited to come together and so I think that we need to remember that God purposely put an entire book of the Bible about this sexual unifying relationship. And maybe it's something that you should, you know, read because it's, it doesn't seem like the husband and wife are coming together and they're like, well, uh, I guess I have to hang out with my spouse tonight. I mean, you know, we don't see any of that language. And so it's something that we can kind of look at and see that there is this enjoyment, there is this unity that is a good thing, it is a blessing, it is fun. And often, I have to say, in counseling and in in struggling marriages that come in, often the marriage is struggling, and one of the first questions that's asked by a lot of counselors, how is the sexual relationship going? And almost always, oh, we're, you know, it's not going well. We're not having, oh, we haven't in a long time, whatever the reasons might be. And that is negatively affecting. They're, they've lost that enjoyment, that intimacy, you know, because it's not just about the physical act, but the intimate relationship that comes. This is just you and him. Nobody else is involved. This is you and your spouse, and there's something beautiful about that. But there is one time we're supposed to pause from having sex. One time. Very interesting to read. It says that in verse 5, do not deprive one another. I mean, pretty strong language. Not like sometimes you could deprive him. You know, it's pretty clear. 
And then it says this, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And so really there is a one time I need to bring this up in our passage where um, Paul says do not deprive. And this term actually means rob or steal or take something that is a person's right. So Paul says do not rob your husband of sex unless, and then he gives reasons why. So I think this is interesting because, you know, there are plenty of temptations out there in our media just going out in public and the immodesty in our culture, pornography, that we want to do everything that we can to help our husbands not to lose their self-control, as it says at the bottom of verse 5, so that Satan may not tempt you, you, or your spouse on your lack of self-control. It goes both ways for sure. Because most men, when polled, want sex, Every day, most men, not every man, maybe not your spouse, that's fine. I know plenty of marriages where the wife wants it more than the husband. But most men, when they're polled, they want sex every day. And most women say they want sex once a week. <laughs> I just think that's so interesting. Every single day is what, you know, if, if your spouse is asked, maybe they would say, yeah, I'd, I'd have sex every day. And most women once a week. I mean, right there, you're already going to see there's going to be some issues, right? I mean, if you're only thinking about it one time a week and he's thinking about it every single day, but we're going to learn that this is our ministry. This is part of our ministry to our husbands. The only time to stop is when both agree, which I think is very interesting. You, you know, it's not me coming and saying, look, I think we ought to take a break because I want to pray about some stuff for, you know, a month or so. I mean, he's got to be on board with me. We have to decide together that we're going to pray. It's similar to a fast in the Bible where you're saying no to food because you're going to focus in on prayer. Uh, short amount of time, right? It's not like unlimited, a limited time. And um, the purpose would be to pray. Right, The purpose would be to come to the Lord. Instead of the time you would be having sex, you come together and you're praying together about something big. Right, So that is the, the time when we are given a break from this. Um, and let me clear up too before I move on what verse 6 says because it is a little, it's right there and it's a little bit, what? He says, now as a concession not a command, I say this. This refers to that at the very end. It's talking about that depriving one another, that, that break, taking that break. He's saying you don't have to take a break. I'm not commanding a break. But as a concession, if you need to take a break from sex, this is the time. This would be the reasons. This would be how it goes. So I think these truths are helpful. Just this passage, just looking kind of at the Bible, what it says to why sex was created, what the context is for. But I also want to go on to correct some of the, the views that are out there that make believing this, these views, this, this scripture, make believing and living out scripture hard. So we're going to look at point two, which is correct mistaken views of marital sex. I think it's very important that you and I, 
identify any mistaken views, any, any misconceptions, any wrong thinking, and correct them, work in our brains to have the right thinking so that we can live out the right choices. And this is, you know, how you would go through anything in God's word. If you had wrong thinking about something, it's going to be hard for you to live out correctly. So a couple of the things I want to um, look at is the, going back to the question that they wrote in to Paul. They said, it is, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Right? The Corinthians had a wrong view of sex. They thought it was more spiritual to stop having sex. That was their question. We want to be super godly? Let's just stop doing sex. It doesn't seem to be the right thing because they were seeing it so wrongly in their culture. If we were writing in, we may write this, these types of things. Hey, I've been told it's bad, it's dirty so often. Now how do I accept it as good? That may be a question. Or we may write in to Paul and say, hey, there's a lot of damage in my past when it comes to sex. How can I get past that damage? What can I do to move through that? Or what can I do, Paul, if I'm the one who's caused damage because of my poor choices? How do I, how do I work through that so that I can enjoy this relationship with my husband? And so I want to just bring up a few, a few of those questions, a few of those thoughts, and address them. Um, the first one is probably more common in just saying that there's tons of reasons to say no. I think a common mistaken view out there that I have heard and I have thought, I should say, is that there are tons of reasons to not have sex. You know, there's a lot of things where I just get myself off the hook. I don't, you know... I, it's just not right. I mean, I, I came across this quote from Pastor Mike, and I'll, I'll read it to you because I feel like he says it way better than I would. But he says, if you say that you're too busy for sex, then you are too busy. That excuse doesn't cut it. You have the wrong job if your job takes you away from meeting the regular patterns of desire and intimacy. Whether it's a note from the doctors or pregnancy or menopause, or a dysfunction, you don't understand the purpose of sex if you think those things are an excuse. There's no break, no excuse, but instead, you need to get creative. It is a command from Scripture. So I think that's a really interesting quote to read from him. You know, if you're too busy to have sex, you're too busy. Cut something out. If you're too tired to have sex, because I know that that is a, a view that many married people have and just too tired, you know, then you're needing to make some changes. That's not the right time to say, no, no, I know, right? You're, something needs to change. Go to bed earlier. You know what I'm saying? Get a nap. I don't know. Make some adjustments. Um, I'm too hormonal or pregnant. Um, we, don't, we don't see that in scripture as saying, okay, well, when you're pregnant, you get a pass and all of that. Um, Basically, if your husband wants to have sex three times a week and you want to have sex one time a week, it's not like, okay, we'll do two because that's in the middle. It's like, okay, we'll have sex four times a week, right? <laughs> Isn't that interesting? He, his authority, when he desires to have sex as a loving spouse, you come together with him. 
right? And, and I, I do know that there could be times when, yes, I, I, I have the flu. I mean, I just had a baby and there's some situations down there, right? I mean, I've had four babies. I understand the situations that happen. But, but as Pastor Mike said, there, you know, you need to understand the purpose of sex, this intimate relationship, this intimate coming together, this protecting you from loss of self-control and get creative. Unless you're coming together and deciding to pray, you need to, to see this as a ministry to your spouse and come, come with it as not just I have a list of things where I can say, well, I have a headache. Sorry, you know, I, don't, I don't feel that great or I'm feeling chubby, you know. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's plenty of reasons. I'm hormonal, I'm tired. I mean, that we could say, um, I have milk running down my body from nursing, right? I mean, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things that come into our minds as this is a proper reason to know. Uh, but God says this is our, our marriage relationship and we need to take care of it and we need to care for our spouses and this is one of the ways. The second mistaken view or maybe misconception that I hear a lot um, is that sex is bad or dirty. And I think this has kind of come in, one, because sex is bad and dirty in a lot of contexts out there. Um, it's, it's, ew. And um, we've seen it poorly just yuck out in the world, right? And so it, we're not seeing pictures of the right thing, or maybe we haven't been taught the right thing. But also, I think if you grew up in a Christian home, um, I grew up, you know, no, 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 sex, bad, 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 here's a ring, and no, no, no. And, you know, for some people growing up in that context, it's really hard for them to get married. And all of a sudden, um, I, I see it as like a light switch where the light has been off for sex for you. It's a dark room. Do not enter. Caution tape is up, right? And then all of a sudden on one day, the light is on. Open the door. Oh, and it's time, you know? And, and that is hard in your thinking often to change your mind from no, 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 bad, 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 wrong, wrong, wrong to yes, 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 good, 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 go, go, go. And so I think that that can be a struggle. And really, we just need to come back to God's word and say, God designed sex as a good thing, right? It's good. It, it's not bad. Incest is bad. Adultery is bad. Pornography is bad. The misuses and abuses of sex are bad. But sex is good, and it is pleasing to God when it's done in the right context in a marriage between a husband and wife. That's a glorifying thing. You are glorifying God when you have sex with your spouse. And that's a change in our thinking that needs to occur because that light switch effect has really messed with a lot of new brides. Just, oh, how do I change my thinking in this? The third thing, the third mistaken view potentially is that sexual sin gives me a right to stop having sex. Um, but if there's some sort of sexual sin in, in, the per, in the person that you're married to, right? If they have done something against you that it gives you a right to stop having sex with that person. And, you know, in a room this size, there are definitely many women who've had just terrible things in this context, in this, this discussion of what we're talking about today, happen 
um, against them, whether it was when they were young growing up or whether it's something that their spouse has done to them. And there is a lot of damage that can come into this and make it very difficult to speak truth to yourself and to live out the way God calls us to live out. But God hates any sin done against you. He hates it more than you hate it. He is not for it. He's not condoning it. And you do have a right to be angry about that sin because it's terrible, whatever that thing was, right? But we also have this responsibility to move past it, to turn it over to the Lord, to begin to work through what happened so that we can honor God and live correctly, live rightly in a way that pleases God. Um, Pastor Mike and Stephanie have both used the car accident example in this context, and I think it's helpful. You know, if you got into a bad car accident, and I remember my mom did when she was, when I was like in high school, and um, I, I'm doing that because her elbow was, was shattered and everything, but when she got back into the car, it was hard, right? I mean, it was a difficult thing to not, I mean, be scared of every turn and thing, you know, and someone, oh, they're going to pot. I mean, you know, just that fear and that difficulty of getting back into the car. But she did it. She started driving again. And I think the same concept here is if there has been a, a situation in your life where sex has been something wrongly against you, right, whatever that context might be, there's, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard to say, I, I need to do this correctly. I need to get back into the car. But, but we need to. We need to get back into the car. We need to work through that issue so that we can live and follow God's uh, encouragement to us, God's commands to us as women, right? And so maybe that means you need to talk to someone. There are so many people here at this church who would love to work through it with you, help you just get past it, help you to talk about it and figure out, you know, what went on and just to deal with it. Um, there are probably women in this room who would love to talk to you, your small group leader or mentor leader. I mean, just we can't push it down and, and pretend it wasn't there. That's going to cause problems. And so we need to work through it so that we can live the way God calls us to live. The fourth thing is I can't get past my past. My fourth mistaken view is potentially I can't get past my past. I can't get beyond my past. And maybe you're the one who made some terrible decisions in this area of your life. Maybe you weren't a Christian or maybe even recently you faltered in some area. But this is the same idea here. We need to confess our sin to God, repent, and ask for forgiveness and work past it, right? God says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We don't need to hang on to it anymore. We don't need to carry it around as baggage on our back, but we need to bring it to God and move past it. Get accountability, get some help for sure, but just if there have been poor choices on your part prior to your marriage or within your marriage, you need to deal with that according to God's word, get help as well, and move through it. Well, this is going to take some work and some effort to enjoy the sexual relationship, to have our right thinking. Hopefully now we have some right thinking. Maybe just brought up some things that you've already known, but you're committing back into believing. But now I want to give you some practical tips on how to 
have a vibrant, passionate sex life. So here we go. We're all married in here, and so we can just... We like practical things, do we not? I love it. I'm like, tell me what to do. So here it goes. Number three is actively pursue a God-honoring sex life. And so really I want to just talk about how can we actively pursue it, action. There's going to be some work involved here. Um, When I was a newly married woman, I so wish I had taken up my mom. Uh, offer to help teach me cook, right? Because all of a sudden you get married and there's like a man and he eats like a man eats. And I I remember before I got married, I could have like an apple and like peanut butter for dinner, you know, or like a piece of toast. I mean, just sometimes you don't want to make something, just kind of a few snacks here, some almonds, whatever. And like, you cannot get away with that with your husband, right? You'd be like, hey, we're having apples and peanut butter tonight. It'd be like, Really? You know, I'm going out to get some food. So I just, I remember when I started cooking, I mean, I was like not very good. Um, unless the, the directions gave me like step by step, like walk over here, pour this. I mean, I just needed such specific things that I, I really had not learned how to cook. And then all of a sudden in our budget, I needed to cook every night and like a meal and budget because we were in college, we were like poor. I mean, we had, you know, barely this much money, like that's what you can, and there was supposed to be meat at every meal. My, I tried to do these meatless meals with my husband, and it, it didn't work. Yeah, he's like, we're, he literally sat down, and you know, beans are a good source of protein, and they save you money, and he's like, where's the meat? He said that. I was like, there's lunch meat in the, I'll get some lunch meat. Yeah, <laughs> so I was like, I don't know. So I, I had to really put some work into it, right? I mean, I, I got books on it. I went online. I asked friends who cooked. I said, Some, someone help me out here. This is a big job and I don't know what to do. Okay, we need to put some effort into our sex lives. Are you putting effort into it? Because you're probably putting effort in. You're actively pursuing things in your life right now. I don't know what it is. Everyone's different, but there's something that takes your mental thinking, your creativity, your planning, your effort are you putting some of that into your sex life with your husband? I mean, I know it's not easy at times. I have four children, and it can be difficult to really put the effort in, but it's something that's really important um, because it's not just about the sexual act itself, right? It's intimacy, unity, fellowship, this relationship growing together. So one thing, and I'm going to have... Eight different things. You can write them down if you'd like, whatever. Communicate with your husband. Talk to them about sex. Remember, sex is good. It's good. It was created by God. It's not bad. It's not something taboo that you're not allowed to talk about. So talk with them about what they like, what you like, how you get into it. I mean, just have a conversation. Open up the communication between your husband and yourself. Um, I mean, do you ask your husband what his favorite meal is? Yes. So ask your husband what his favorite thing is. Okay. (laughs) Number two. Um, Number two, figure out how to get into it. Figure out how you can get into it. I mean, is this the type of thing where you need to snuggle? Um, Is there a certain type of day that's better or good times of the day and bad times? Okay, this is not the time where I can really get my brain does not shut off here. Do you need to do some makeup hair stuff? 
you know, you know, are you like the baggy sweats t-shirt kind of person and then you're just like not in the mood because you just, oh, I feel ugly. You know, let's put some effort into that at times. Because, um, you know, I feel when I am kind of more put together, when I've at least brushed my hair and brushed my teeth, I feel like I can face the day, right? I feel more confident. So maybe we need to do something more with that. What is his favorite color? Can you wear that? You know, how can you turn off your brain? And if you can answer that, share it with all of us. But I think we need to work on that. How can we turn off our brain from all the things that we need to do and accomplish in the list and really focus in on this? I think that's something worth putting the effort into. Number three, think about it during your day. Think about it throughout the day. You have a lot to think about. Kids' schedules, doctor's appointments, when you're going to pick up this, your work, and that report's due, and all of that. Think about this part of your relationship with your husband as well. Uh, Maybe you need to memorize some scripture on it. Uh, I have done this. It is helpful. Proverbs 5, 17 through 19. The passage we studied, the passage in Genesis, Song of Solomon, anything in there that's celebrating this. Um, Hebrews 13, 4, simple short verse that could come back to, to your mind. Maybe you need to read books about it. There are books in our bookstore, one called Sexual Intimacy, um, Intended for Pleasure. There's quite a few out there that just maybe you need to spend some time reading about it, putting your mind on that. Number four, mix it up and get creative. Get creative. We don't, I have a lot of food examples, I guess. I don't know why, but we don't serve chicken and rice every day. Sometimes there's a spicy tortilla soup, right? I'll just leave it at that, but sometimes we need to get creative and put some effort into thinking about what's going to be different, uh, you know, different place in the house or wearing something that you used to wear when you were first married, you know, something like that. But getting creative, just as Pastor Mike said in his quote, that is important as well. Number five, instigate. Instigate and just don't get talked into it. Right? Is there a time when you say, hey, whatever your code word is or the face that you give, is there a time when you're the one instigating? Um, Be the one to initiate that. That is going to be very encouraging to your spouse. Plan for it that night. So plan other things around it. Put your kids to bed early if you need to or turn off the Netflix show. I don't want to watch a show tonight. Whatever it might be so that you have you know, the time, the effort to put into that. Tell, text your hubby that day and say you're excited. You know, get a code word, you know, cranberries. <laughs> I don't know. I, you come up with your own code word. Cranberries is terrible. Um, but just something where you say, hey, I'm looking forward to, you know, apple pie tonight, something like that. That would be an exciting thing for them. Because remember, you know, This is good. This is good, right? We have to remember that. That's a good thing. I mean, it's awkward to talk about, hey, I'm the one giving the the talk here, okay? I get it. It's it's a little awkward. It's a little, you know, makes you squirm a little, but it's a good thing created by God. So we have to keep that in mind. Number six, get accountability or help. Maybe you need someone to keep you accountable. I have someone in my life who has asked me at various periods of her life to text her and ask her how her exercise is going. And that's our code word. And she wanted accountability because it was a struggle and she was not doing well. And she knew she wants to live the way God calls her to live. 
She's going to get accountability, just like you would if you're, you know, yelling at your kids or something, or if you're being lazy at work and you're, you know, on the computer doing other things. You're like, maybe I need to talk to someone. They're going to ask me, how is that going? Same thing here. Ask someone that you trust and love to, say, to ask you about it, right? Get that accountability and that help. Um, and beyond that help, maybe you do need help with a doctor. I mean, there are some times where it's just after kids or something's happened or whatever, maybe you need to go to a doctor and get help there. I mean, it, you know, this is a part of our body, so don't be afraid to go there if that's needed as well. Get help in counseling if you need help. Um, but I think this will help us put some of the effort into it. Number seven, pray for a greater sex drive and desire. Pray about it. This is a God-honoring thing. This is something good. Pray about it. I mean, put that into your prayer requests and things that you come to the Lord. Ask God to help you to desire this, to want this, to make this a priority. Ask God to correct any of your misthinking, mis wrong thinking about it. Pray about it. Pray for him as well. If he needs prayer in this area, bring it to the Lord on behalf of your husband. And number eight, my number eight is just do it. That's it. I don't know why I have that down. Number eight, just do it. Stop making excuses. When you find yourself making the excuse, say, I'm going to, oh, that's not good. Push that aside and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to commit to doing this. Well, I think as Christian women, if we're committed to following God's commands, his standards, we also want to make sure we are beacons of truth, that we're speaking this truth that is not heard very often to our children and to our friends, potentially, who are getting married. I know some of you do not have kids yet, or your kids are a baby, and so you're not teaching them about sex yet. I get that. But we need to do what number four says, teach your children God's perfect plan. And if you don't have children, you can say, teach your friends who are about to get married, right? When this discussion comes up, this is point number four. It is teach your children God's perfect plan. Or teach it correctly to those around you. I mean, there are people who out there getting married and have lots of questions. And if you're married and you, you know, they come to you, make sure you're teaching the right things. Make sure you're speaking the right truths. If you have children, we need to definitely make sure this is part of our training. I'm like super big on this because I did high school ministry with my husband for a few years and I had... 18-year-old ladies going off to college, coming to me because they said, my mom has never talked to me about sex, and I've asked her to, and she will not. And these are women whose moms are like super plugged into our church and stuff, and I was like, what? They're like, would you talk to us about it? I don't know anything about sex. And I'm like, oh, like that just, that was so sad to me. I mean, I grew up in a very different household. My mom would hop in the car with me whenever it was just her and I, and her first words were, so, you want to talk about sex? What do you want to talk about? What are your questions? What terms do you need to know? I'd be like, ah, mom, you know, but I would ask her. I would ask her, and we had open communication about everything. She just established that from when we were young. But I think we need to make sure that this is part of our training to our children and that we're the ones because they're going to get trained from somewhere, right? If you don't teach them 
It's not that they're not going to know about it. They're just going to learn it from books, movies, innuendos, playground talk, older siblings, playground, I mean, park somewhere, someone. They're going to start picking up the pieces about what is sex and what's it for and all just this, it's going to go, and they're going to start creating their own knowledge of this. Uh, and if you don't speak to it, you're letting the other sources teach them, I think is, is, the, is the thought here, right? You're letting somebody else teach your children about it. Um, and we really need to combat the enemy who's out there using sex as a, a tool to draw people away from the Lord. The media has just got so much to say. I mean, even within Christian circles, there's a, some, some have this stigma of sex being bad, dirty, ooh, we can't talk about it, right? That's wrong thinking as well. God created it good. It's a good thing. It was intended for marriage. It's not something that we have to you know, we can't talk about. And so I think we need to make sure we're spending some time. And I read a book called um, Straight Talk with Your Kids About Sex. Straight Talk with Your Kids About Sex. And even if you don't have kids, it's a good read. But uh, it's by Josh and Dottie McDowell. So it's husband and wife. They're both writing it. And it's just a great resource because he talks about talking young. And I was like, what? And, and the concept is, and I'll, I'll let you look into the book and get more. I'll just give you a brief. But if you start talking about it when they're, now, now I don't mean the full shebang, but if you start kind of introducing that you have an open communication with your children when they're young and you're calling their body parts by the right names, you're not saying a hoo-hoo or a, you know, your, oh, that's your ta-ta or something, right? <laughs> because even that teaches them, like, that's like, I mean, we don't call our elbow a cha-cha, baba, you know, I don't know, whatever. We don't call that. We don't call our finger something different because it's, a, you know, these parts are, they have the names. And so I, I would remember being like, oh, because I'd been wanting to say like, oh, that's just your, you know, nah. like I didn't know what to do. I was like stressed when they first asked me about it. And I realized like if we just start with saying this is what it's called and, and this is your body, like God created your body. It's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing that men and women have different parts. And, and so I, I, that was an eye-opener for me, really helpful. And now there are these books in the bookstore as well. Um, I forgot to write down the name. It, but they're in there. They're, maybe somebody else knows, and you can shout it out if you know. But they're these hardback books. They're leveled by ages. Um, the first one is, um, the second one is Where Do Babies Come From? That's ages six through eight. That's fun. And then ages three to five is uh, who, but, what, what is it? Yes, yes. Why are boys different from girls? And then it goes up from there. So there's leveled books for boys and girls. And you sit down, you can sit down and read it with them and that helps, right? Just to open up the conversation. And so that's all I wanna do in point four here is just to encourage you to not neglect this part because if we... If we're scared or awkward about talking about it, that's not going to allow an open communication with our children, and they're going to want be curious and go somewhere else and not come to us. And I really want my children to ask me, even if it's awkward or strange questions, I want them to ask me because I have a biblical perspective on it, and I want to share that with them. So get some of these resources. Don't make it a hush-hush, you know, we don't talk about that here 
make sure that co communication is open to them um, because, you know, you don't want them coming to their high school pastor's wife when they're 18 and saying, I don't know anything. I'm going off to college and I don't, I mean, they didn't know hardly anything. And so that's something we need to make sure we're sharing. And then as, as our friends get, are getting married and they're coming to us with questions, make sure, you know, you're not ever throwing your husband under the bus or, or putting him in a bad light or whatever, but that you're speaking truth about this relationship with them, pointing them to what scripture says. Well, I hope that this is helpful. One of my main purposes is just to um, open up the conversation about it within a church context so that if you need to talk more about it with someone that you're not afraid to, because everyone in here heard the same discussion, and everyone in here heard me say, like, talk about it if you need to talk about it. You know, get help if you need to get help. Turn to your leader for accountability if you need that. Don't be afraid to, to discuss this in the right context and in the right way, especially making sure we keep our husbands high and honor them in the way we speak about this, right? But also just to open that up and just to also encourage you to make this a priority in your marriage. And so I hope that you're re-motivated to make it a priority and to really commit to this ministry in your relationship with your spouse. Commit to putting some effort into it. Commit to um, starting it up again if it's been a while. Commit to doing things God's way because we want to honor him in all areas of our life, and this is one of them. So let's pray. God, I just pray for um, this topic, and I thank you that we can look to your word, and in a world that just so has taken your good design of sex and just trashed it um, and just presented the sexual relationship in so many negative, wrong ways, God, that we can look to what your word says as the whole of scripture and see what you intended it for and how we should live it it out in our marriages, what we should think about it. And so, God, I just pray that our thoughts would be realigned with Scripture um, today, that we would see that you designed sex to be a good thing between a husband and a wife in marriage for fellowship, unity, intimacy, uh, even to help one another to not lose their self-control, right, but to remain pure. God, I just pray that we would be committed um, to even living out what we've learned today, even amongst hard times or things that make it difficult. Give us just the grace and strength to follow you even when we don't want to or something has been difficult that makes it, makes it hard in our life. Help us to turn to you and commit to doing things your way. I pray for the discussions right now. I pray that they would be good discussions, that they would be honoring to you and honoring to our spouses. Lord, help us to just be open about this area of our lives and help us to grow as a result and to apply your word. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.